Welcome to ASME TechCast, bringing you the innovators, the innovations, and the issues that push the envelope of engineering. I'm Jeffrey Winters, Editor-in-Chief of Mechanical Engineering Magazine, and I'm joined today by Senior Editor John Kosowatz and Special Projects Manager Carlos Gonzalez. To talk about the biggest engineering stories that we covered this year on ASME.org and Mechanical Engineering Magazine. John, Carlos, welcome back to the big show. Nice to be here, Jeff. Now, as everyone within the sound of my voice knows, 2021 was a bit of a strange year. It wasn't the parade of world historical events that we saw in 2020, but it was a far cry from what we thought we might get at the beginning of the year. Instead of closing the book on the coronavirus pandemic, thanks to the widespread availability of effective vaccines, we got yet another wave thanks to the Delta variant. Instead of an unprecedented economic surge as, as the world went back to work and to the mall, we got labor shortages and supply chain disruptions. And instead of going back to normal, we discovered that the new normal was here to stay. Some of the top engineering and technology stories of the year reflect those dashed expectations. Just just to pull one example out of the headlines, there was a great buildup over the summer as two of the world's richest men competed to go into space aboard their own privately funded spaceships. And at first, it sounded like a chapter of an old science fiction novel. But I can't have been the only person who was let down a bit when the space flights of Richard Branson and Jeff Bezos turned out to be suborbital hops that barely cleared the border into space rather than some more daring adventure. But you know, here at ASME.org and Mechanical Engineering Magazine, we covered stories that, well, I think delivered on their promise. And John, Carlos, and I, sitting around our work-from-home conference table, have selected two each that I'd like to briefly spotlight for you. So, John, why don't you kick it off for us? There were two biotechnology stories out of the University of California system that I thought were very, very noteworthy. The first one um, from uh, UC San Francisco was really an amazing achievement and it brought worldwide headlines when uh, researchers announced a breakthrough in restoring speech and communication for people with severe paralysis, a speech neuroprosthesis developed by this research team enabled a severely paralyzed man to communicate in sentences by translating brain signals to his vocal tract directly into words. And those words appear as text on a screen. And this event was appearing to be the first successful demonstration of direct decoding of full words from brain activity from a paralyzed person unable to speak. And biotechnology engineers, of course, played very important roles in this work. It was a culmination of years of work for team members to map cortical activity patterns from vocal tract movements that produce each consonant and vowel that a person uh, speaks. A fellow by the name of David Moses, who's a postdoc engineer at uh, UC San Francisco and the author of a paper that was published in the New England Journal of Medicine, developed methods for decoding speech patterns in real time and also worked uh, in developing statistical language models for better accuracy. They tested this by necessity on people 
who could speak, but then the test subject was a man in his 30s. They surgically implanted a high-density electrode array over his speech motor cortex. And then after recovery, the team recorded 22 hours of neural activity over several months as the subject attempted to say each of the 50 vocabulary words. And their system decoded words from brain activity at a rate of 18 words per minute with up to 93% accuracy. As the testing went on, the team prompted this, uh, this person with uh, questions like, how are you? Would you like some water? And then his answers appeared on a screen as short sentences. Pretty amazing. Now, this is proof of concept, and it was going to uh, you know, take a while until, until this is developed into, into something that's a little more uh, concrete. But I think that it was an extremely, uh, extremely important event. Yeah, I mean, is this the sort? I mean, they tested it on on people who were capable of speaking. I mean, would this be something that would have some application just beyond the folks who have vocal cord damage to 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 folks who who can speak? I mean, is it maybe a way to sort of augment the spoken word communication think, with computers? I, I believe right now they're working on um, on testing it with people with uh, with severe paralysis. And, okay. And, and trying to increase the number of words and the rate of speech that, uh, that can be translated. Okay. There was another event out of uh, University of California, San Diego, where bioengineers working with clinicians, with doctors and neurosurgeons, designed a, uh, a long, thin, steerable, hydraulically actuated catheter to reach areas of the brain that are prone to aneurysms. Right now, it's really difficult for for doctors to get to some of these areas, if they can get to them at all, and this device that they uh, that they developed out there, which is uh, still in in early stages of development, but again, proof of concept showing that it does work. They were able to fabricate this catheter. Um, we we write a lot about we write a lot about three D printing and advanced manufacturing, and those options didn't work for them, and they produce this uh, catheter the old-fashioned way through through a lot of modeling and working with um, working with some people in industry to produce this rigid structure in which they developed the device. They also engineered custom polymers uh, needed to accommodate varying degrees of stiffness in the structure of the uh, of the catheter. They tested this thing out in pigs and it worked splendidly. So if they, you know, as, as this gets developed, this would open up treatment for aneurysms, I think, to uh, uh, perhaps a wider population of patients. John, those, those are very, those are great stories and, and stories that I think you're right, didn't get uh, enough attention. And so hopefully folks can, can look those up online. Carlos, what do you have for us? Well, one of the major stories I think that we did in the later half of this year and we're kind of seeing the like an extension of that story was we wrote quite a bit about electric vehicles and the electrification of everything. We did our webinar series in the fall on the, the grid and how can we electrify everything. And currently right now we're in a gas crisis almost, right? I mean, mm -hmm. if you look at some of the prices of gasoline currently, a year ago, regular grade gas was around $2 national average. 
And right now we're more than a dollar up. We're around $3.40. So I had the benefit of sitting down and interviewing um, some analysts from Bloomberg NEF and talked about the electric car. And we spoke about what's the future of the outlook market and how is it going right now in terms of increasing the EV infrastructure that's coming across the country. So we have some push going in that way, some funding going that way. Part of that is to tackle climate change issues. And part of that is to increase the EV infrastructure. So I think it's interesting right now that some of the myths around electric cars are kind of being debunked. If there's obviously the EV infrastructure has to increase, but if you look at places like in California where they've developed it quite thoroughly throughout the state, the fully charged car in today's market costs about sixteen dollars. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's with DC fast charging. If we compare that, what it takes to fill up your gas tank, you know, if you have a 16, 18 gallon gas tank right now with the current prices, you're looking to 40 to 50 bucks. So the the infrastructure is increasing. We've seen the adoption um, increase as well. More people are looking into EV cars and hybrid vehicles. And a lot of places have already said that a lot of car manufacturers, a lot of countries around the world have already said they're going to stop producing gas cars. That by 2025, their entire lineup is going to be completely EV. So I just think that the transition that we're seeing today towards an electric market, more than any other year, and obviously the pandemic has had some effect into getting um, gas made and refined, and people are not taking public transit for fear and safety. They're taking more cars. So we're seeing an increase right now in people investing into the future of automotive, which is going to be electric. I, I don't think at any, I don't think at this point anyone can deny the future of the automotive market is going to be EV. I mean, and I'm not sure if, if your reporting got to this point, but I mean, the, the auto companies themselves, I mean, are they, how, how closely are they, they are, are enthusiastically, are they embracing this change? I think they're embracing it um, wholeheartedly. I think, the, I think they notice that the writing's on the wall that people are concerned about raising gas prices. And not only that, public opinion, people want to try to do something about you know, the environment and they see EV cars as an easier way to go. Mm-hmm. So I mean, in this past year's um, consumer electronics show, um, General Motors and, um, and Cadillac were debuting a bunch of EV vehicles, um, including an EV Hummer. You know, if you if you want to think about a car that's a gas guzzler, the older the older Hummers from the early 2000s were the epitome of, you know, uh, a gas driven vehicle when gas prices were extremely low. But now we're transitioning to an EV Hummer. I mean, if that's not an indication of where we're going with the electric car market, I don't know what is. Very good, exactly. um... Not just Hummers. Also, there's uh, um, electric uh, pickup trucks. The Ford F one fifty is the biggest selling vehicle out there, I think. Yeah. And and I think the the, the nice thing about that is that, uh, especially for the U.S. market, um, more than anything, because we are probably one of the biggest consumers of SUVs and pickup trucks, the question has always been about performance. And are we sacrificing performance because of EV, going EV? And with the F-150, right, you're getting a full performance pickup truck that a lot of people who work in construction will use. And the performance is 
equal, if not more than the current F-150s, because I mean, anyone who owns a Tesla will know the torque you can get off an EV car um, is, is, is really, really high powered. You know, your car will go zero to 60. I don't, I don't know off the top of my head what the number is, but uh, EV cars are matching performance and in some places outperforming. Well, I mean, I've, I'm looking forward to getting the infrastructure in place and getting the sort of the uh, the the manufacturing in place so that EVs can go from being sort of this niche to, to being normal. I think that's that's the, as long as once people think of EVs as as a normal type of car, then then they should take over fairly rapidly. I would think. Um, Agreed. Speaking of normal, I the the one of the articles that I that I thought was really um, noteworthy this year was written by the um, Lena Zeldovich, a freelance writer here in New York. Uh, she wrote about the way that universities and, and especially um, um, colleges of, of engineering are transitioning from the sort of abnormal, weird 2020 school year where everything was remote to a, a return to the campus where they had to, to look at what things they did on an emergency basis actually worked better than the, the previous paradigm. Um, it's a fascinating story. And um, the colleges have, have revamped um, how they deliver lectures and how they run labs, administer tests, or even how they attract students to come to their school in the first place. I mean, the idea of a virtual open house has gone from a sort of a, a sad replacement of an on-campus tour to, to a way that students can actually go and see places that they might not actually have been able to, to look at otherwise. Um, and as she points out, the, the school administrators are, are looking to assess how to turn the, the, the new normal into, well, just simply normal. Um, the, um, she, uh, Lena talked to a, uh, Yelena Kovacevic, the dean of the New York University's Tandon School of Engineering, who told her that some students really appreciate being able to rewatch lectures that have been been videotaped, um, so that they don't have to furiously take notes and they can sit and, and, and absorb the information at first and then go back and and check out the uh, the details for things that they they might have missed. Um, there are other cases where. Um, office hours. I mean, I remember when I was a, a university student back in the Stone Age, where you'd have to sit outside the, the professor's office and try to get a little bit of, of time um, if, you, if there was, was any time um, while other students were, were ahead of you. Um, now the office hours are done remotely you can and and done in in the evenings or, or done in and sort of hours where where students don't have classes and and the professors can just be home and have these office hours and it's more convenient for everyone also uh, lena noted that that there are universities where instead of the the classic blue book tests that weren't really practical during the pandemic have been replaced by things like uh oral exams which kind of test a, a, a deeper knowledge of the subject matter than the sort of problems that they had been students had been asked to, to work on before as a father of a college student I, I saw what it was like in 2020 when when all that was done and when my son was studying sometimes at, at home 
And, you know, it, it, some of the new technology is, is really, um, I, it is in some ways better, maybe not, not a, a complete replacement for, for in-person classes. And I know that my son is back, is glad to be back on, on campus, but there are some technologies that are, are really quite interesting. Kovacevich, um, uh, let me quote her here at, uh, at the conclusion of the story. She said, it will take a little bit of time to see what this new normal is going to be, but I think the new normal will be better. It'll be a positive step forward. And, you know, I, I think that's one of the, the biggest stories of, of the year, not just in engineering, but across the board, how, how the, the electronic tools that, that were pulled out on an emergency basis during the pandemic are, are being integrated into to what we consider just normal education. That's right, Jeff. You know, the uh, the pandemic turned out to be this one big uh, petri dish of uh, items that have been able to be developed and tested in, in a very, very short amount of time. Many of them are working, and uh, these are good examples. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the three of us are, are living in, through some of it as well, because we've been um, doing our media operation from our own houses for the past 18 months. And I feel as if we have been able to do it without much uh, difficulty at all. I mean, I, I feel that that the, the electronic tools that, that were available at that time and that, that we've adopted since then have, have been able to, to help us do the job just about as well as we could have previously. Well, one of the questions I have for you, Jeff, is, you know, we've talked a lot about how the systems have changed and how students are adopting, but how have the teachers adopted to these new changes? Are they finding any hurdles in terms of the technology and trying to get on board with the digital lifestyle? Well, I I do know that, you know, there, there is, there can be a bit of a, of a generation gap that not everybody is on speed with the new technology. But let, let me quote um, Marisol Kozlowski, a professor of mechanical engineering at Purdue, who, who said that she, she had students taking, um, in terms of, of office hours, she had students taking uh, her course from China and California. So with online office hours, I could talk to them at 7 p.m. Uh, I never did it before, but I'm going to keep doing, that, doing it that way now, she said. And to me, that, uh, I, I think it, it depends, on, of course, on the class. Labs are, are much more difficult than lectures, but I, I feel that there are certain parts of the, uh, of the teaching suite that, that lend themselves to, to um, digital technology. And I think those will, be, those will continue to be uh, embraced by, by professors and, and students alike. Gentlemen, I hate to do this, but we're running really long. So what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna put a pin in this now end the episode and invite everyone to join us next time for the continuation of this uh, really exciting discussion about the top stories of 2021. For John Kasowatz and Carlos Gonzalez, I'm Jeffrey Winters. Thank you for joining us. I'll see you next time. Be sure to subscribe to us on Anchor, Apple, iTunes, wherever you're getting your podcasts. Join us. Until next time. Take care. Have a great rest of your day.